Welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, the podcast that brings you through the entire Bible in 260 days. Have you ever wanted to read the whole Bible but struggled to do so? This podcast is meant to help you do it. With five 15 to 20 minute episodes per week, you will hear the entire Bible read to you. There will also be occasional brief notes to help explain context, as well as a concluding question or thought to consider. So welcome to the Bible in 260 podcast, your journey through the Bible in 260 days. Welcome to episode 132. Today we're beginning a new book. We're taking a little break from the book of Kings and Chronicles, and we're going to be looking at the book called Ecclesiastes. This is written by King Solomon, and It's one of the books that leaves you kind of wondering if life is maybe hopeless because throughout this book, King Solomon is basically using this word futile as translated here over and over again. Uh, In the original language Hebrew, it's havel, it's uh, smoke, it's vapor. And basically he's saying when he looks at life, it's so easy to think that everything around you is going to be so wonderful and fill your life with joy. And yet here he is, the king who has everything and he's not content because he realizes that everything is hovel, it's smoke, it's vapor, it's futile. And so as we go through this book, um, there are notes of hope, and there, of course, is this part of the Bible compared to other parts as well. But it does challenge us to think about the title of this episode, and that is, What Do You Live For? And so let's begin today uh, by reading from Ecclesiastes chapters 1, 2, and 3. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Futile, futile, laments the teacher. Absolutely futile. Everything is futile. What benefit do people get from all the effort which they expend on earth? A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains the same through the ages. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries away to a place from which it rises again. The wind goes to the south and circles around to the north. Round and round the wind goes on and it rounds its ret- and it rounds its returns. All the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is not full, and to the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All this monotony is tiresome. No one can bear to describe it. The eye is never satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear ever content with hearing. What exists now is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing truly new on earth. Is there anything about which someone can say, Look at this, it is new. It was already done long ago, before our time. No one remembers the former events, nor will anyone remember the events that are yet to happen. They will not be remembered by the future generations. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I decided to carefully and thoroughly examine all that had been accomplished on earth. I concluded... God has given people a burdensome task that keeps them occupied. I reflected on everything that is accomplished by man on earth, and I concluded, everything he has accomplished is futile, like chasing the wind. What is bent cannot be straightened, and what is missing cannot be supplied. I thought to myself, I have become much wiser than any of my predecessors who ruled over Jerusalem. I have acquired much wisdom and knowledge. So I decided to discern the benefit of wisdom and knowledge over foolish behavior and ideas. However, I concluded that even this endeavor is like trying to chase the wind, for with great wisdom comes great frustration. Whoever increases his knowledge merely increases his heartache. I thought to myself, come now, I will try self-indulgent pleasure to see if it is worthwhile. But I found that it also is futile. I said of partying, 
it is folly, and of self-indulgent pleasure, it accomplishes nothing. I thought deeply about the effects of indulging myself with wine, all the while my mind was guiding me with wisdom, and the effects of behaving foolishly, so that I might discover what is profitable for people to do on earth during the few days of their lives. I increased my possessions, I built houses for myself, I planted vineyards for myself, I designed royal gardens and parks for myself, and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I constructed pools for water for myself, to irrigate my grove of flourishing trees. I purchased male and female slaves, and I owned slaves that were born in my house. I also possessed more livestock, both herds and flocks, than any of my predecessors in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself, as well as valuable treasures taken from kingdoms and provinces. I acquired male singers and female singers for myself, and what gives a man sensual delight, a harem of beautiful concubines. So I was far wealthier than all my predecessors in Jerusalem, yet I maintained my objectivity. I did not restrain myself from getting what I wanted. I did not deny myself anything that would bring me pleasure. So all my accomplishments gave me joy. This was my reward for all my effort. Yet, when I reflected on everything I had accomplished and all the effort that I had expended to accomplish it, I concluded, all these achievements and possessions are ultimately profitless, like chasing the wind. There is nothing gained from them on earth. Next, I decided to consider wisdom, as well as foolish behavior and ideas. For what more can the king's successor do than what the king has already done? I realized that wisdom is preferable to folly, just as light is preferable to darkness. The wise man can see where he is going, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I also realized that the same fate happens to both of them. So I thought to myself, the fate of the fool will happen even to me. Then what did I gain by becoming excessively wise? So I lamented to myself, the benefits of wisdom are ultimately meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be remembered for very long, because in the days to come both will already have been forgotten. Alas, the wise man dies just like the fool. So I loathed life, because what happens on earth seems awful to me, for all the benefits of wisdom are futile, like chasing the wind. So I loathed all the fruit of my effort, for which I worked so hard on earth, because I must leave it behind in the hands of my successor. Who knows if he will be a wise man or a fool? Yet he will be master over all the fruit of my labor, for which I work so wisely on earth. This also is futile. So I began to despair about all the fruit of my labor, for which I work so hard on earth. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. However, he must hand over the fruit of his labor as an inheritance to someone else who did not work for it. This also is futile, an awful injustice. What does a man require for, acquire from his labor? and from the anxiety that accomplishes his toil on earth? For all day long his work produces pain and frustration, and even at night his mind cannot relax. This also is futile. There is nothing better for people than to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in their work. I also perceive that this ability to find enjoyment comes from God, for no one can eat and drink or experience joy apart from Him. For to the one who pleases Him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy, But to the sinner he gives the task of amassing wealth only to give it to the one who pleases God. This task of the wicked is futile, like chasing the wind. For everything there is an appointed time, an appropriate time for every activity on earth, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh 
a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give something up as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to rip and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What benefit can a worker gain from his toil? I have observed the burden that God has given to people to keep them occupied. God has made everything fit beautifully in its appropriate time, but he has also placed ignorance in the human heart so that people cannot discover what God has ordained from the beginning to the end of their lives. I have concluded that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to enjoy themselves as long as they live, and also that everyone should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil, for these things are a gift from God. I also know that whatever God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God has made it this way so that men will fear him. Whatever exists now has already been, and what will be has already been. For God will seek to do again what has occurred in the past. I saw something else on earth. In the place of justice there was wickedness, and in the place of fairness there was wickedness. I thought to myself, God will judge both the righteous and the wicked, for there is an appropriate time for every activity, and there is a time of judgment for every deed. I also thought to myself, it is for the sake of people, so God can clearly show them that they are like animals, for the fate of humans and the fate of animals are the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Both have the same breath. There is no advantage for humans over animals, for both are fleeting. Both go to the same place, both come from the dust, and to the dust both return. Who really knows if the human spirit ascends upward, and the animal spirit descends into the earth? So I perceive that there is nothing better than for people to enjoy their work because that is their reward, for who can show them what the future holds? And we'll uh, stop there in Ecclesiastes today. And I hope you see this back and forth struggle in Solomon as he writes these words, feeling like there's no point in life when everything seems to be at the end, either fading away, perishing, or there's nothing new, or what you do and all the hard work you do ends up being given to somebody after you. And he's struggling in the midst of this also, because at times he does come to say, but God is the one who will judge. God is the one who will bring final righteousness and justice on the earth. God is the one who makes things endure, not me. And so there's hints of him understanding that if he looks at himself, it's depressing. If he looks at God and what God has done, then there is hope. But there is that struggle in him. And I think it's an important thing to realize the Bible calls us to see that struggle and it recognizes recognizes that that struggle is something we have in our lives. But now we move to Psalm 45, which is a psalm of, uh, often called a wedding psalm or a song of love. And it describes a a wedding in which uh, you might say love might be the answer. So let's look at Psalm 45. For the music director, according to the tune of Lilies by the Korathites, a well-written poem, a love song. My heart is stirred by a beautiful song. I say, I have composed this special song for the king. My tongue is as skilled as the stylus of an experienced scribe. You are the most handsome of all men. You speak in an impressive and fitting manner. For this reason, God grants you continual blessings. Strap your sword to your thigh, O warrior. Appear in your majestic splendor. Appear in your majesty and be victorious. Ride forth for the sake of what is right on behalf of justice. Then your right hand will accomplish mighty acts. 
Your arrows are sharp and penetrate the heart of the king's enemies. Nations fall at your feet. Your throne, O God, is permanent. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. For this reason, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy, elevating you above your companions. All your garments are perfumed with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. From the luxurious palaces comes the music of stringed instruments that makes you happy. Princesses are among your honored women. Your bride stands at your right hand, wearing jewelry made from gold from Ophir. Listen, O princess, observe and pay attention. Forget your homeland and your family. Then the king will be attracted by your beauty. After all, he is your master. Submit to him. Rich people from Tyre will seek your favor by bringing a gift. The princess looks absolutely magnificent, decked out in pearls and clothed in brocade trimmed with oil with gold. In embroidered robes, she is escorted to the king. Her attendants, the maids, maidens of honor who follow her, are led before you. They are bubbling with joy as they walk in procession and enter the royal palace. Your sons will carry on the dynasty of your ancestors. You will make them princes throughout the land. I will proclaim your greatness through the coming years. Then the nations will praise you forever. There's the royal song of love, a song, a wedding song. It's showing there's joy in life and love and weddings. It's an amazing reality that God gives again. And then as we finish today, we're going to look at 2 Timothy, uh, the second letter the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And this is a letter where Paul, in one sense, is telling Timothy about what it means to serve God and love God and kind of a, an amazing reality check of saying, what are we living for? And this is an incredible uh, description in this first chapter already of um, Paul's instruction to him to say there is something great to live for and a purpose in life that it goes beyond any things or stuff or material possessions of this world. And so 2 Timothy chapter 1. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to further the promise of life of in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Christ Jesus our Lord. I am thankful to God, whom I have served with a clear conscience as my ancestors did, when I remember you in my prayers, as I do constantly night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure is in you. Because of this, I remind you to rekindle God's gift that you possess through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, a prisoner for his sake, but by God's power accept your share of suffering for the gospel. He is the one who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not based on our works, but on his own purpose and grace, granted to us in Christ Jesus before time began but now made visible through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. He has broken the power of death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher. Because of this, in fact, I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed because I know the one in whom my faith is set, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what has been entrusted to me until that day. Hold to the standard of sound words that you heard from me, and do so with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Protect that good thing entrusted to you, 
through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia deserted me, including Phygelius and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the family of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my imprisonment. But when he arrived in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well all the ways he served me in Ephesus. And so as Paul is talking to Timothy and instructing him on on how to live his life, he's basically reminding Timothy that the reason you can have hope and joy and contentment in this world, even in the face of suffering, is that you've been shown mercy and grace by God through Jesus and that God has sent his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, to live in you, to give you power to live a new life, a life of love, a life of service, a life of faithfulness, a life of obedience, a life of showing the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit himself is the same one who lives in you, and he works in you to do the work that needs to be done, preparing you for the day of Jesus' return, the day when all things will be made new. And so there's great hope here, great, uh, wonderful hope, even in the midst of suffering. And I hope that might be an encouragement for your heart and your soul today as well. Thanks for listening to the Bible in 260 podcast. May what you have heard speak to your heart and mind today. The scriptures quoted are from the Net Bible, HTTP, netbible.com, copyright 1996-2019, used with permission from Biblical Studies Press, LLC, all rights reserved. Our theme song for the podcast is The Call by Emily Ruth. You can find The Call and other music by Emily Ruth on Apple Music or Spotify or wherever you find your music. You were always there. You were always there. Whispering the truth.